There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. Before we start this episode, I'd like to just read out a comment that was written on my website by a Lepster called Isabel just a couple of days ago. And here is Isabel's comment. So she wrote... Hello, Luke. Hello, Isabel. Um, I'm so glad to know that you're sponsored by italki because I first discovered you through that page. I was casually reading some of the comments in the discussion section and someone asked about how to improve his listening skills. And in the replies, there was a Lepster advising him that your podcasts were the best podcast in the world and super fun. Thanks very much. And then another fan of you replied expressing his joy of knowing that there were there were more listeners of you on italki. And immediately I felt curious. So I searched for Luke's English podcast and now I'm addicted. Good. <laughs> Good. My evil plan is working. Um, so I've been on italki since 2013. So I'm glad that you're with that page too. italki is very good and really useful. I've met many people from different parts of the world there and it was on italki where I decided to write and talk in English for the first time with native speakers. It was a great experience. So there you go. That was a testimony from Isabel who's used italki to improve her English and also it seems that there are uh, loads of lepsters all over italki as well which is kind of nice. Lots of LEP ninjas somehow have infiltrated italki uh, and they, they're already there in fact they've been there for for a couple of years it seems so um yeah italki seems to have worked for isabel um it could work for you too teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or just click an italki logo on my website all right so that's it for this um this mention at the beginning let's get uh, down to the new episode and here it is You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This episode is called Murder Mile Walks, stories of London's most infamous and shocking murders. And in this one, we're going to hear about some true crimes that happened in parts of central London. Yes, all the stories that you will hear in this episode are true, and you should know in advance that this episode does contain some graphic descriptions of horror and extreme violence. And on top of that, there is some swearing at the end of the episode too. So this is an adult episode of the podcast recorded by adults, featuring adult conversation between two adults about adults doing adult things to other adults, And it's presented here by an adult for other adults to listen to. Okay, so the point that I'm making here is that it's not for kids, this episode. So if you don't mind a bit of horror and some strong language, then great. But if you're easily shocked, then please be cautious. Okay, just be prepared. If horror and stuff like that isn't your cup of tea, just don't listen to this. All right, I don't want you to be upset or offended. 
Um, but to be honest, the content in this one is no worse than some of the stuff that you see in the average horror film or the stuff that you get in an episode of CSI or Grey's Anatomy or the kind of content that you might find in a true crime documentary or something like that. It's not that different to, to those sorts of things. But anyway, I thought I should warn you about the level of the content in this episode. Uh, and now that I have warned you, let's continue. So welcome to the podcast again. Um, this is a conversation with my friend Moz, uh, who's been on the podcast before. You might remember Moz from previous episodes, such as the Brighton Fringe Festival series, the drunk episode, the drunk episode two, uh, which was recorded on Moz's boat. Um, so Moz has been living in London for ages, but a couple of years ago, he decided to buy a canal barge. Um, that's a narrow boat. Okay. Uh, he, de- he decided to just buy a narrow boat and then live in it at various locations in the London canal system. Because I don't know if you know, but London's got loads of canals. There's like all sorts of waterways in London. They go, the, the canals connect the city up. You can walk, in fact, along the canal towpath all the way from, you know, Paddington Station, like uh, Little Venice uh, in the west, all the way through uh, Regent's Park, uh, by um, London Zoo, round the back of King's Cross Station, uh, through parts of Islington, and then down towards Limehouse near the River Thames. And the, the canals are also connected to other waterways, you can't take a canal boat onto the River Thames, I think, but there are other little rivers and things that branch out into the east of London. And you can sort of, you know, if you have a narrow boat, you can uh, take the boat up uh, those rivers, like the River Lee goes up uh, into the east uh, towards the area where they had the Olympic Games a couple of years ago. So lots of canals and waterways that you might not be aware of. Um so, yeah, Moz now lives on his boat um, and he just takes it around various locations in the London Canal system. So he kind of lives all over the city. It sounds like a pretty nice life. Um, instead of just living in one location the whole time, he moors the boat at different locations in the canal and river system in London and enjoys a more peaceful side of London life with all the ducks and the geese and fishing and pubs and knife crime. Well, Maybe not the knife crime. Let's hope not anyway. Um, so, Moz used, to, Moz used to work as a producer of comedy TV shows at the BBC. He also produced, wrote and performed in a few of his own comedy theatre shows at the Brighton and Edinburgh Fringe Festivals over the years. And all his shows featured slightly dark subject matter, but in a comedic way. Um, so those shows that he did were basically sort of horror stories that in the end turn out to be quite funny and sweet. Um, now, fa- fairly recently, Moz launched a small tour company. It's a company that offers walking tours in the Soho area. You know those tours that you can join where there's a tour guide who shows you around some interesting spots in the city and you follow the guide around as he or she holds an umbrella in the air or something. Have you seen that? Um, very common in London, you see kind of some person walking through the street with an umbrella in the air and then a, a whole crowd of people following after them like disciples. It's quite a strange thing to see, really. Like, why are these people following this 
person with an umbrella in the air. What is it like a sort of sacred umbrella? Follow the holy umbrella as we walk through the sacred streets of London. You know, they're going to kind of meet and then sort of bow down and worship the umbrella. It's a bit weird. Obviously, it's just a way for the uh, for the tour guide to, you know, be noticed so everyone can follow follow him or her. Right. That's the that's the boring reason. I quite like the idea that they're all just sort of disciples of the Umbrella King and they're kind of following the holy umbrella through the mystical streets of of a city. That's just the way I see it. Anyway, you know, those kinds of tour guides, uh, those city tours and, you know, the tour guide stops at various locations and talks to you about different things and you listen and you'd rather be in the pub or something. Uh, You know, they're nice but they're a little bit boring sometimes, right? You know what I mean. Well, Moz's tours are quite different. And in fact, they're proving to be very successful already with some great reviews um, appearing on the travel website TripAdvisor. Uh, The thing about Moz's tours is that they're original because not only are they presented by Moz himself and, you know, he's one of a kind, isn't he, in his own special way, um, but uh, it's not just that. It's not just because you've got Moz, but also the tours are all about murder. A lot of murder, in fact. They're all about real murders that took place on the streets of London, in Soho, uh, to be specific. Now, I'm not going to tell you more. I will let Moz do that. But you can just listen and find out all the grisly details as they come up in the conversation. Um, So we're almost ready to start listening to this conversation now, but I would like to just give you another warning now before you listen to the episode. So here it is, warning. Most of you won't think this is necessary, but I would like to just ask you again to please be aware that this episode contains some descriptions of explicit violence and horror. We're talking about murder, of course. Um, So... I think we deal with the subject in a grown-up and responsible way. But if you're, you know, if you're sensitive or if you're playing this to young listeners, then please use the maximum amount of discretion, okay? What I mean by that is that it's up to you to decide if you want to listen to the whole thing. And just bear in mind, it's supposed to be for adults. Um, so, as well as all the murder and, and, and the, the general chat that you'll get in this episode, there is loads of great vocabulary, of course. Um, not to mention some really good stories, uh, all based on proper historical research done by Moz himself. And everyone knows that listening to stories is a great way to learn English. So, as you listen, try to follow the conversation, you know, just obviously try and follow what's going on and just try and follow the the conversation as it evolves and moves, you know, naturally through the subject. Um, I'm not teaching you specific things in this one. I'm just inviting you to listen to some natural conversation between native speakers. But try to notice language as it comes up, you know, try and be mindful about the English as you listen to it. Um, Would you like it if I produced a follow-up episode in which I explain all of the vocabulary like I did with the Craig Wheeland interview. Would you like that? Let me know. Uh, also, I'm considering the idea of launching something called study packs. These are these would be like download bits of downloadable content that would help you learn English th- uh, from Luke's English podcast. Okay, so imagine uh, imagine this: there would be study packs on the website. You click study packs, and there is a big list of of these study packs. And the study packs would relate to different episodes of the podcast. For example, a, a conversation with a friend. Let's say it's this one. 
my conversation with Moz. And you can listen to the conversation free as part of the co- of the, the podcast. But then you would have the option, uh, if I did this idea, you'd have the option to download the study pack for this episode. And in the study pack, you would get essentially an MP3 download, which is me explaining key bits of vocabulary and language, clarifying meaning, giving you chances to, to repeat after me, going through bits of grammar that I think uh, uh, would be useful for you to understand. And also, you know, looking at some of the pronunciation, you know, really kind of getting down into the nitty gritty of the language and explaining it to you and helping you to learn it. So that would be the MP3 file that would be in the study pack. And then also in the study pack, you would get um, a PDF download. And the PDF would basically be all of the language that I'm explaining in, in the MP3 and then some self-study exercises, like practice exercises, just like the kind of thing you get in a grammar book or a textbook, you know, exercises that would give you, you know, controlled practice with that language that I'd explained in the study pack MP3 and that you, you'd you heard in the original episode. All right. So MP3 with me explaining it all to you and then a PDF download with exercises, um, controlled practice and all the answers as well. Does that sound good? Does, does that sound like a good idea to you? Would you be interested in that? Yes or no? And also, um, uh, I, I would, you know, that wouldn't be free. That That's peripheral content that you'd have to pay for. But, you know, I think if you're keen to learn and you really want to make the most of, you know, my teaching experience and the podcast, you could download those things. So there would be a price. I wonder what you think would be a fair price for a study pack that would contain all of that learning potential. Let me know. Okay, so um, we're almost ready. Before we get to the murder stories, we talk about swearing. So back to the conversation with Moz. Before we start talking about murder and killing and things like that, we talk a little bit about swearing and swearing on TV and swearing on Luke's English podcast. And we discuss the question of whether or not I should bleep out swear words on this podcast. So the, the first question is to bleep or not to bleep, okay? And as a former producer of BBC comedy television shows, Moz has some very wise words to say about the subject. So there's a bit of conversation about swearing, and then we get into the details of uh, Moz's new project, Murder Mile Tours, okay? So that's it for the introduction. We're now ready to get started and listen to the interview. I will see you on the other side of the conversation, not the other side of existence. I'm not going to see you in the afterlife. No, I'll see you on the other side. I'll, I'll talk to you on the other side of the conversation. I'm now going to get out of the way and stop rambling. Here is my chat with Moz. Here we go. Moz, hello. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back. It's uh, it's a pleasure to, to have you. Um, oh, <laughs> cheeky yeah well you know i like you know i like to to welcome my guests uh, onto my episodes as much as possible within that, reason within that reason. is a welcome <laughs> yeah it certainly is so welcome to the podcast Thank uh, you. and uh how are you today uh excellent yeah it's a beautiful day in london uh i'm sitting on the boat just enjoying the uh the sunshine whereabouts are you actually because you you know the boat i imagine is moored somewhere whereabouts are you I am right next to the Olympic Stadium, so in Stratford. Oh, right. So I'm literally within a two-minute walk of, what was it, the big arena? Uh, it's not the, I'm near the velodrome. Near the velodrome, so it's yeah. near the Olympic Park. 
<gasps> yeah, which so, is great. It still looks beautiful, and uh, yeah, they've just built a beach there, which is great. Nice. I know. So, are people still using the Olympic Park? Because I remember when you know the Olympics ended, uh, lots of people were saying, "What are they now going to do with this massive Olympic Park and all these facilities? Are, are they going to be used? What are they being used for?" Uh, it's still being used as uh, what have they done? They've turned it into like a big playground. And there's going to be some new shops built there and expensive apartments. And they've just opened up a very old canal system in there and rebuilt it. So, uh, yeah, no, it's looking brilliant. Nice. Okay. And Good so, old Lord Coe. Lord Coe. He's, he's Thank the you, one, Lord Coe. He's the guy responsible for, for the project. Yeah. Okay. And so um, you're in your boat. And I, I guess, what, where are you? You're, you're sort of moored in a canal i suppose you're not on the river thames of course <laughs> yeah no the, the great thing about london is it's uh it's full of canal networks so i'm i'm actually on what's known as the river lee which is uh slightly tide well it's not tidal it just goes up and down a lot so you have to you have to keep an eye on the water okay. but it's it's beautiful right and you get internet on the boat <laughs> just about <laughs> i've got uh internet dongle so uh-huh. as as long as I've, I've probably shown you already, but for your listeners, I've had to put the dongle on a three meter cord and it's, it's peeping out of my roof at the moment so I can get a signal because the boat is made of steel. I see. I see. So you need to stick the dongle out of a window in order to get a signal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the first time you've sticked your dongle out of a window. A bit of cheekiness yeah. for your listeners. Not the first time you've, you've uh, stuck your long dongle out of a window. <laughs> it's only about three inches long. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, do you remember the last time you were on this podcast, Moz? Do you remember what happened last time? Uh, I remember what happened afterwards. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I remember uh, being... Can I say this to your listeners? Well, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to say. Oh, okay, then. Well, you might, well um, if, if it's incredibly rude, I'll edit it out and then I'll find, <laughs> I'll find some way of explaining it. But, uh, you know. It was, no, we, we were moored up uh, in a nice part of Little Venice, which is a very nice part of West London, which is like Venice, only a lot smaller. Uh, and we were doing the podcast. And I think we'd had quite a bit to drink. Well, not yeah, not all of us. Uh, to be fair. Uh, oh, some members of the party had uh, consumed <laughs> consumed more alcohol than others. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I was quite worried because what I did there was I, I double moored, which means uh, because London is so busy, what you tend to do is moor next to other people. So one boat will tie itself to another boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy next to me, Dave, very nice guy. I didn't want to step on his boat or anything because it's bad manners. Um, unfortunately, after the last podcast, I was a little bit unwell. Uh, I <laughs> opened mean, my side window. Drunk, he means, uh, basically. Yes, I, <laughs> I was very drunk. I opened my side window to be sick uh, uh, and I accidentally threw up all over his boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, swear, you swore then, Luke. Yeah, I did. Like, I, edit that out. I let out a swear word. <laughs> An F bomb. I don't know if anyone noticed. <laughs> I did. You can go back and rewind and uh, double check if you really is that want like to. A, is that like an Easter egg? What a, uh, a little hidden swear word. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a slightly uh, complicated relationship with swearing on the podcast. Oh, essentially, essentially the point is that uh, you know I don't want to offend anyone, and yes, at the same time. 
I I I I don't want to a um uh, what am I trying to say? I want the I want the podcast to stay authentic, and so you yeah. know people swear sometimes, right? Yeah. Do you think it's when when is it appropriate to swear and when is it not appropriate to swear? What do you think, Moz? Do you know what I spent ten years at the BBC uh, as the guardian of swear words? What do you which mean? Was effectively, my job, and I I had to make a lot of decisions about what was acceptable language. So wait a minute, you you worked in in uh, comedy, comedy and production of comedy television programs. Yeah, but part part of my job was uh, trying to decide what was acceptable language. So whether you could get away with do you know what time of day you could get away with f words yeah uh, and if you were to drop an f word i won't explain that to the audience but we think we know what that they means know, they know what that means um whether it's right to bleep or not to bleep because can it be more offensive if you bleep so what what's your policy on this podcast okay i'll give you the i'll give you a summary as briefly as possible so i used to do my my, my position used to be don't swear on the podcast yeah right? i don't want to offend people i don't want to you know have problems uh, then I got plenty of messages from people saying, please, can you do something about swearing? We want to know about swearing. Like okay. lots of requests. Maybe the most commonly requested thing was like, you know, teach us <laughs> some stuff about swearing. And and also, you know, I thought, yeah, well, it's the podcast. It's not a classroom. You know, I'm, I don't have a boss. I can do whatever I want. Mm. That's the magic of podcasting. You can do whatever you want. So I thought I will. I'll do that. I'll I'll take that step and I'll do swearing. And so I did a whole episode with my brother, which is a, a full guide to how to swear in British English. <laughs> it was fully, deeply researched. I prepared for it in advance. You know, I created a list with each word graded. You know, with a star rating. Wow. Uh, to, going back from the old-fashioned swear words, which are not offensive anymore. You know, like damn and blast. Uh, and and then through the milder stuff, you know, like piss, you know, piss off. <laughs> Your voice dipped as you said that. I did. Well, you know, I'm still a little unsure about whether I should be saying those words on the on the podcast. Yeah. But you know, anyway, uh, I've decided it's kind of okay. But um, so I did a full episode, you know, all about swear words with every single rude word in it, and people loved it, generally speaking. And yeah. then you know, I don't know, sort of then. Uh, every now and then swearing would happen and I was still unsure about it. I went through a period where I bleeped swear words out. Yeah. Which um, was not entirely successful for several reasons. One of those reasons was that it took me a lot of time it does, to yeah. go through and bleep them out. And the second reason is that I did actually get messages from people saying, why are you bleeping out the swear words? We want to hear the swear words because, you know, we're learning the language. We want to hear natural British English as it really is spoken in a, you know, in many contexts. That and, makes sense. Yeah. And, and they understand that, you know, when people are with friends, um, that they swear sometimes, you know, and it, it would be somehow inauthentic of me to somehow adapt my language yeah. Uh, because I, it's almost patronising to say to people, "I'm not going to swear to you." You know, I'm going to give you some graded, some false version <laughs> of the language. So that basically, the philosophy is as much as as much as it is appropriate, and when the context is appropriate, yeah, swearing happens uh, with the, with the understanding from my listeners that they are listening to essentially they're they're listening into a natural conversation between two friends. Yes. Okay. Even though it's an interview. It's slightly formalised. It is an interview, but um, 
I suppose it's it's different between uh, podcasts and comedy because in comedy, what we what we would tend to do is quite often deliberately bleep the swear word because it's actually funnier. Yeah, well, yeah, that again, Moz, that's a reason why I used to bleep them. I yeah. went through this phase where I was bleeping them out and it was kind of funny in a way. And, yeah. and some of my friends listened to it and they were like, I, you know, I found it really funny when you bleeped out the swear words. Um, so, yeah, I realised I'm really unbleeping them out for comedy purposes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really bleeping them out for the right reason. And, and also... Um, when I did bleep them out, you could you could still tell which word it was. It was still obvious. Yeah, I didn't want to bleep out the entire sentence because that would uh, be counterintuitive. That would go against the entire purpose of this podcast, which is to pre- which is to present language. Yeah, you know, we we, we used to have to bleep uh, with the f word. We had to bleep from the middle of the f to the end of the k to just in the middle of the k. So you so would. You could, yeah. So you could still hear uh, the first opening two letters. You could still hear f and k. So it's like f. Yeah. So if, for example, if some, you know, if if you said, "Oh, f off," yeah, you, you could, you know, what people are saying if if you yeah, hear, oh yeah, just totally, like feek off, feek off. <laughs> uh, the the ruling always was: if you can't hear the word, then it's not a word. If you can't hear the word, then it's not a word. But that's a legal argument, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that was part of it, yeah. That's a legal argument in case someone, you know, makes a complaint. And you can say, well, in fact, no swearing was included because it could have been is not could have been flick. Word. Exactly. <laughs> Although everyone knows from context that it's... That it's fuck. Yeah, oh, there we go. The first <laughs> one has landed. You can bleep that one. You can bleep that one. I can or, <laughs> or maybe I'd, I might go, bleep. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to bleep that one just, just, <laughs> just because I think it's appropriate at this point. But, but for comedic purposes, it was very funny. <laughs> oh, well, we will let the audience be the judge of that. Um, so, okay, so what's, the, what, what's your professional opinion, Moz? What shall I do? Shall I be bleeping swear words? Shall I just swear or shall I just try not to include swear words? What do you think? Do you know what? I agree with your listeners because they're learning about language and pronunciation. I think it's important that they hear everything. So if someone like me were to drop some major F-bombs, I think they need to hear them fully, okay. which I won't do. <laughs> I think that I would, I would ask you as, the, as a guest on the podcast to exercise your discretion. <laughs> I, I'm being very, very cautious about what I'm saying <laughs> already, as you can probably tell. <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, it's very interesting to have that discussion with, with someone who's worked professionally in broadcasting and mm. who knows the ins and outs and the complexities of, you know, swearing in, in a broadcast or a podcast. Uh, it's very interesting. That is, I'd love it, to talk it, to you. Yeah. It's, it's, sometimes it's about, it's about mostly about content as well. It's a uh, context. Context. Uh, and also multiple use. So sometimes in a program they would say, uh, uh, okay, you've got 10 instances of the F word in this program. We will give you three. So we would have to, even though it's the same word, you'd have to go in and edit out seven versions of that word in order to make it acceptable, so, even though it's the same word. So it's not the word itself; it's the frequency of the word, mm, and also also the the phrasing of it. And do you know, uh, someone could like you slipped in the f word earlier on. It was quite subtle, whereas mine, where you said we're going to have to edit that. I think that was more about 
uh, I said it in quite an aggressive way. I said it quite hard, but whereas you, yours was slipped into conversation. Right, mine mine was almost unintentional. It just yeah. <laughs> it popped out because I because you said you said something and I because uh, you told the story about how you were sick outside of your oh, window yeah. last time you <laughs> in the aftermath of the last podcast. Um, you puked out of a window onto a onto a friend's boat, which must have oh, been quite yeah. embarrassing. Uh, certainly, the next day, I don't know if you cared about it at the time. Um, I I tried to clean off some off the boat, okay. uh, but in the morning I knew that the, the the man in the boat next door to me was leaving at nine o'clock, and I was too hungover to wake up. But I heard him washing it off. Okay, well I, I guess we should probably leave the yeah the, the vomit behind at this point. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, you said that story, and I understandably was slightly shocked, and and and, a, and an F word popped out. <laughs> and if my listeners don't believe me, they can go back and have another listen, and they might be able to identify it. But I think um, it was minute seven. Minute seven. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, it's around then. All right. <laughs> um. So uh, in that case, that that is a that's less offensive somehow that it happened naturally, whereas you used it f- with intention. Yes. <laughs> you, you it was a premeditated uh, swear oh yeah but you also it, i think you also used it with a certain level of irony yeah you didn't do it you didn't do it to shock you did it as a joke yes uh yeah i think because we both knew that i shouldn't say it therefore i deliberately did say it, it and <laughs> and i put it at the end of the sentence so it would be even funnier I wonder if my listeners found it funny, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. But, like, uh, it's, it's interesting that you uh, – so as a BBC professional or ex-BBC, you know, if you uh, – looking at it through that – for that professional point of view, yeah. would you have bleeped out your own F word? Uh, if this was a live programme going out – no, if this was a recorded programme going out at two in the afternoon, definitely. In fact, that whole scene probably would have been edited and removed – um, if it was eight o'clock, it would have been taken out as well. But after nine o'clock, meh, probably accepted. And the reason for that is that that's that's the nine o'clock watershed that they have mm. on British TV, which is basically after nine p.m. You can have slightly rude, you know, fairly rude stuff like the F word. Uh, I don't know why I'm keep saying the F word. I suppose I'm saying it because, I mean, Louis C.K. the comedian obviously does that famous bit where he's saying, you know, don't say the F word because all you're doing is you're putting the word fuck into someone's yeah. head. You know, uh, all right. So I, I might bleep that one out again, just because <laughs> this is the bleeping swear words uh, conversation. But there's, um, there's there's an interesting uh, there's a series in Britain that uh, hopefully your your listeners won't know about called mm. Mrs Brown's Boys. Mrs Brown's Boys. Some of them might, but because uh, I know it's very popular in the UK, and there's a movie, uh, Mrs yes. Brown's Boys. All right. He he's basically uh, he's basically a man in a dress pretending to be an old irish mother um but, but he's incredibly sweary and the problem with this series is it went out on bbc one which is the bbc's main channel uh, where you get a lot of family entertainment but it went out at 10 o'clock at night and it the live show is incredibly sweary i mean it, he would drop the f-bomb 100 times wow Maybe two hundred times. In, he'd also he'd also drop the other bombs as well. Right. Let's not go. Let's not. Let's bench, not go down that route. Let's but, not go down that route. Yeah. But when they transferred it to TV, the uh, big bosses, like the controllers of the channels who were in charge of uh, the output, mm-hmm. uh, said you can't swear that many times 
in a 30 minute episode you can't say the f word 30 times so what they would do is re-edit the script so instead of saying the f word he would say bucking all right or buck or if you listen carefully he uses the irish term which is feck okay so all right that's this is very interesting so they've replaced in the script intentionally in order yep. to get around the, the 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 problem that we're talking about uh he replaced the word the f word with buck and bucking and then the irish word that you said was feck feck which uh is not the same word as the f word no and it, and it's deemed inoffensive inoffensive as well so uh it's not counted as a swear word Ah, now, there's another TV show that everyone might know, and that's Father Ted. Hey! Fantastic show. Irish comedy. Um, and uh, the, F, the word feck was used a lot in that show. Hello, listeners. I'm just interrupting myself here in order to play you a little extract from an episode of uh, Father Ted. Father Ted was an Irish comedy about um, a group of priests who lived on an island. And it did feature the, the word feck sometimes. It was a kind of a, a satirical show, really. And you're now going to hear a clip uh, of a character called Mrs. Doyle talking about a novel that she read. And the novel contained lots of swearing. And apparently Mrs. Doyle doesn't like swearing, but she loves to complain about swearing. She, she seems to enjoy using the swear words that she's complaining about. So it's a bit ironic, really. But this is a clip from Father Ted. I read a bit of one of them once. God, I couldn't finish it. The language. Unbelievable. Well, it's, it's a bit gritty, but that's the modern world, Mrs. Doyle. Well, it was a bit much for me, Father. Feck this and feck that. Yes, Mrs. Doyle. You big bastard. Oh, dreadful language. You big hairy arse. You big fecker. Fierce stuff. And, of course... The F word, Father. Bad F word. Worse than feck. You know the one I mean? Yes, I do, Mrs. Doyle. F you. F your effing wife. Oh, I don't know why they have to use language like that. I stick this effing pitchfork up your hole. Oh, that was another one. Oh, yes. I see what you mean, Mrs. Doyle. Bastard this and bastard that. You can't move for the bastards in her novels. It's more to all bastards. Is it, Mrs. Doyle? You bastard, anyway. You fecker, you bollocks. Get your bollocks out of my face. I'm just <laughs> and that's Father Ted. Hey. Fantastic show. Irish comedy. Um, and uh, the, F, the word feck was used a lot in that show. And it's, you can say, ah, feck off. And it's okay, because it's not the F word. <laughs> Isn't it ridiculous? Uh, considering it's just one letter out, but you know exactly what the word is. Mm. But it's, it's inoffensive. Right, okay. How, so, how did we end up doing 20 minutes on swearing? <laughs> welcome to Luke's English Podcast. <laughs> so the, the reason that we ended up talking about swearing is because uh, you talked about the last time you were on Luke's English podcast when you drank a little bit too much beer because you were excited naturally to yeah. be on the podcast and then you ended up um, you know uh, having to uh, uh, what's a discreet way of saying it? you you had to mop up you had to mop up a little bit of mess that you caused on your on Dave's boat Dave was on the podcast as well if you remember he was he was he was very exciting wasn't he, he yeah he was <laughs> that was a fun episode i have to say which was uh, which it listeners was can still listen to it's it's uh, the name of the podcast episode I'm talking about is called on a boat 
Oh. Because we recorded it on a boat. That's clever. That is clever. We were joined by Paul Langton and Alex Love and Dave. Yes. Yeah, and Dave, yeah. Um, so anyway, after recording that, you had a little bit of a, a, a problem <laughs> and uh, you described it in certain level of detail and that caused me to react uh, inten- unintentionally with the F word <laughs> uh, without really thinking about it. And then we ended up discussing the ins and outs of swearing and whether it's appropriate to broadcast swearing in television programmes. Uh, and that's because you used to work for the BBC in, in the comedy production. No more. No more these days. What, what are you doing? Uh, I've run a tour company in the centre of London. So uh, in a nice part of London called Soho, uh, which is just off Oxford Street, in between Oxford Street and Shaftesbury Avenue. Um, And basically, I run a two-hour guided tour of some of the most horrific and grisly murders in Soho. So this is a sort of alternative tour experience. Yes. All right. Now we know many of my listeners will have been to London. They know that when you go to London, you can take you know these tours around the city. What are the most usual? What are the normal, common, most ordinary tourist uh, tours that people tend to go on? <laughs> that was a good sentence, Luke. It was. I know. I'm, I'm very good at making these long sentences that go on forever. What I meant is yours. Your tour. Your tour company is a bit different. What are the? What yes. are the normal tours? Uh, most tours are kind of regular guided tours of the tourist attractions of Soho or or in my field, which is kind of murder mystery, uh, you can do kind of Jack the Ripper tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's heard of Jack the Ripper, the kind of serial killer who attacked in the 18, late 1880s across Whitechapel in East London. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually started with this, my own tour, um, because Jack the Ripper didn't exist. Really? He did not exist. But what about all of the stories and the books that have been written about Jack the Ripper? The movie, for example, the, that movie with Johnny Depp in it? Yeah, hundreds, hundreds of books, many of which I have read. But that's the problem, is that when you look into the history of Jack the Ripper, um, they can't define how many women, a.k.a. prostitutes, he murdered. There's either three or five, which they call the canonical five, seven, nine, eleven, or twenty-two. Uh and of the canonical five, which th- these are the, the five that they say Jack the Ripper definitely killed, the last one, Mary Ann Kelly, they've just proved it was her husband who killed her. Um, so that's where I started with my walk, was the fact that if you go on a Ripper tour, um, A, the stories don't exist, there's no physical proof, mm-hmm. uh, B, the locations no longer exist anymore, uh, all of the Ripper locations except the Ten Bells pub have, have been demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my walk is real stories, real people, uh, which I've investigated from the National Archives in London and uh, London's fav- uh, most famous court, the Old Bailey. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it's a two-hour walk, 18 murderers, 21 locations, which are all real. You can look into the windows and see where the murderer would have been. Uh, 75 corpses in two hours, in just under one mile. Oh, my God. So wow. it's intensive. It's, you, you come on the walk and you just, within three streets, no, actually on the same street, we have three serial killers. <laughs> That's a lot of murder in just two hours. It's, it, it, even, even in the first 10 minutes, we cover, I think it's 48 murders. Wow. 48 it, murders. That's insane. Yeah, I know even one building is is the famous Denmark Street fire. Well, 
well, not really famous. Uh, most of the locals don't know about it, but it was, yeah, it's quite a horrific uh, murder that where 38 innocent people died in 1980. Okay. Now, I love the sound of this because I like murder mysteries. I murder. Like, yeah, I like a bit of, you know... You know, it's like the sort of uh, those those true crime stories that you can read, murder mystery stories, the sort of movies and popular fiction about murder, Jack the Ripper stories and stuff like that. You know, Yuck. obviously it's a bit sick, it's a bit weird and dark, but it's entertaining and it's harmless stuff. It's just history, um, and uh, you know, there's a there's a big industry in crime stories and thrillers and stuff, isn't there? The the, the way that I kind of tackle this is that a lot of people approach kind of murder mystery walks looking for the grisly details mm-hmm. but what i've actually done is uh looked into the history of each of these characters mm-hmm. and tried to find you something really either sad or beautiful about their lives mm. so instead of just approaching a building and i'd go here a lady was murdered and she was stabbed and we walk on. What I do is I tell you about her life and something that's very important that kind of guides you through and goes, you either pity them or sometimes you, you actually pity the murderer. Right. I know I, uh, if, if you're okay with it, I'd like you to tell us a couple of those stories today yeah. on the podcast. Um, but um, I, I just know that some of my listeners might be thinking, murder, murder tours, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, but it's not just you as, you, as you've established. There are other tours particularly those jack the ripper tours in east london Mm. but yeah you've already explained how you're different to those and how yours is based on like all of this research and all of the the details into the the personal lives of the the victims and the murderers so it took about a year to research did it really and it was only i mean i'm only dealing with one square mile of soho which is effectively five streets but but what i did was um, I didn't actually know how many murders were in Soho, but I just sat there and thought, I know Soho, let's investigate. And I started digging around. Not literally. Um, sometimes. <laughs> no, you weren't <laughs> literally digging in the ground, were you? Sometimes it felt like it. Okay. Uh, but no, I would just start um, going through the archives and finding different murders. And my kind of rule is uh, the building has to still exist. Mm-hmm. It's a very strict rule because I... I'm of the opinion that if you're going to tell someone a story, they have to be able to physically touch something. Okay. So like if it's a window, I want people to look into the window and imagine seeing the, the, the victim or the killer walking past the window. But no, I, I started, uh, I researched about 200 murders mm-hmm. uh, and then I whittled it down to 50 that I liked. Yeah. And then I had to physically go around Soho looking to see if the building still existed. And then I wove all of the stories together into kind of uh, a multiple narrative. So if your, if your listeners were to come on the tour, it wouldn't be 18 different murderers, or it would be, but the stories are connected. Wow. So it's like one long kind of two-hour narrative that includes mm. all of these other little stories in, in it as well. Including a murder that's still to this day, 80 years on. Actually, it's a... It's a multiple murder. Five women were murdered, mm. and it still remains unsolved today. But on my walk, you solve the murder. Wow. So you also become a detective during yeah. the experience. It's great. It sounds amazing. Nobody's solved it yet. Really? <laughs> have, what, have, you, have you got the solution? 
uh, I've got half the solution. Right. Uh, but it's amazing because there's lots. What I do is I take you on the journey. You visit all of the murder locations for what it, it's known as the Soho Strangler. Uh, and I show you all of the suspects and we start whittling through all the suspects, kind of working out who may have murdered who, why, for what reason. And at the end, you solve it almost. Can I just stop you on that expression, whittling through and whittling, whitt- and whittling down? I think I might. I thought it would be worth just mentioning that just because like, normally when you're whittling, it's like you have a stick in your hand and a knife in the other hand and you sort of like cut the stick with your knife and then you make it sharp. That's whittling, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like you remove bits of the, the, the wood and you form it into something else. Like, for example, a, a, like a, a, I don't know, like a peg or a, just a sharp piece of wood. So whittling something down is like removing little bits piece by piece. So in your case, you're, you're, uh, when you're investigating a murder, you're whittling down the situation. You're, you're cutting off bits, removing... Refining. Refining the case. Yeah. You're cutting away things that are not in fact related to the case cutting away facts that that are not related until you're left with finally the um uh the the, the shape of this actual case which i imagine the would bare be sh- bones. the bare bones the, yeah it might look like a bare bone or it might even be in the shape of a wooden dagger or something which is quite appropriate nice <laughs> um so basically what you do is that you meet uh, a group of tourists i guess i think it's what eight maximum is that right uh, f- uh, 15 maximum 15 maximum okay so you have a group of tourists with you you meet them in a location in soho and you walk through soho visiting various little spots on the way it's it's a what a two-hour walk but you walk about one one square mile yeah yeah mile. if that so it's it's good uh, even mile. people on crutches can do it so there's not a huge amount of walking involved no um, and we have a tea break as well so yeah, halfway through you can have a cup of tea oh god it just sounds perfect it's good. It's, it's good even for kind of rainy days. And it, the odd thing on my walk, this this will surprise you and your listeners and even me as well. What would you say? Uh, who would you say is more likely to come on my walk? What type of person? I'd say sort of young people, kind of people who like horror movies, uh, you know, like 20, 20 year old students who, who yep. like kind of horror films and, and stuff like that. Yep, I would say the same. Unfortunately, it's not. It's uh, all women in their late thirties, early forties. Really? Yeah, it's that... almost. It, it's at the moment. It's eighty-seven percent women. Interesting. I don't know why. Maybe they're attracted by your uh... your mysterious charm. <laughs> that could be it. Although I doubt it. No, I, I think women like the macabre. You know, the darkness. You think so? Kind of horror stories whereas men are kind of they'll kind of take it or leave it really i think men kind of like facts whereas women like the kind of you know uh because all of these stories are mostly about relationships Mm. it's kind of that the has a good way to explain it it's kind of the, the the ups and downs of a relationship it's kind of the darkness and i think they like that the human drama Human drama. And, and the mystery of what motivates, you know, people to do things. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of romance, I suppose, in these stories. Because often, you know, of course we're dealing with, with you know, quite horrific crimes or whatever. But often the, the, the situations in which these crimes occurred, 
there's a lot of passion involved yep. and that there's, there's a lot of sort of it's usually as a result of some some love affair or something like that so interesting human drama emotions and passion and stuff like that um and well i mean according to you if if lots of women are attending your tours then that must mean that they're the kinds of people who who are attracted by that that stuff which totally, is which is yeah. uh, which is lucky for you isn't it moz I love it. <laughs> Lovely ladies. But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that um, I would have thought that the grisly nature, because I, I don't hold back. Really? It's I, quite explicit? Oh, totally. I had a, um, it's meant to be adults only, but I had an eight-year-old child Ooh. on the walk. It could, well, <laughs> I did a Mother's Day special. Because <laughs> for, for, our, for our listeners, uh, it was uh, Mother's Day in Britain last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was two tours on Mother's Day, which were full, really? Ab- two absolutely full tours. Um, and everyone had invited their mothers along and it was a treat and all the mums were loving it. Uh, but someone had brought their eight year old daughter along. Mm. So I thought I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to tell them everything because I do tell them everything i imagine you, you you said in advance you said to the parent look i'm you know you realize that this is an 18 rated this is like a adult rated experience and you know I'll, I'll let you decide whether you you allow the daughter to be here but it, you know it's your decision but this is an adult rated uh, experience uh, absolutely did you, did you do that? I, I i did i i told them everything i played it very carefully but i deliberately i didn't censor myself mm. But what I did was because I have a niece around the same age, yeah. I judged the content based on what I thought was acceptable for my own niece. Yeah. And when there were some bits that I thought that were quite sexually explicit in nature, even though this is a Sunday morning, there are some grisly details in there. Mm. Um, what I would do was turn to the eight-year-old girl and put my fingers in my ears so she could do the same. <laughs> Very good. But I, I, I can say that the weirdest walk I ever did... This was a couple of weeks ago. I was meant to have eight people on the walk, uh, but six postponed. So I was left with just two. Mm. And at the start of my walk, to get people interested, uh, I do a bit of banter. So it's kind of a bit of cheeky conversation uh, to let people know the rules and what we're going to get up to. And there's a couple of cheeky jokes thrown in there. Mm -hmm. Um, The man and the woman who were in front of me didn't laugh. Oh, didn't react at all and i thought oh it's gonna be one of those days mm. so anyway we were walking to the first murder location and i just casually turned to them and said uh just out of interest english <laughs> with a hint of question mark on the, on the end of the accent uh and they shook their heads at me mm. and i worked out that he was spanish she was french they both spoke Spanish and French, but no English. Right. And so I that, don't. I don't speak Spanish or French. <laughs> mm, so you did the whole thing in in through the medium of dance. Oh yeah, no, I I did the whole thing in mime. Seriously. Yeah. So a two-hour tour of which it's taken me a year to write and rehearse. It's it's effectively a whole play. So it's all. I have to remember every single line yeah. in my head. Uh, but what I did instead was I mimed it to them. And after a while, we started developing a shorthand with each other. Really? So, so I could turn up to a location. I could do a sign for death. I could say Dennis and they would know exactly who I was talking about. And yeah, it became really funny. <laughs> sounds amazing. 
it was it was really tiring because I I'd had three cracked ribs at that moment and a bad neck. So but I still did it. God, what a hero! You had cracked ribs. Uh yes, that was. Uh, I had a bit of an incident on the boat. Oh really? What you you fell off the boat or something? <laughs> yeah, I fell, <laughs> I fell off the boat into the water and cracked three ribs. Oh mate, <laughs> yeah. I was drunk. I couldn't feel it. Oh, dude. <laughs> okay, can I just say for your listeners, uh, I'm not always drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are just rare incidents. I promise. He's no, he doesn't drink any more than the average English man. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Which is probably quite a lot, to be honest. No, he, no he's, it's fine. It's fine. I, I guess, you know, living on a boat, you know, it's, it can yeah. be a little tricky sometimes. It can be. Um, it was just after my birthday, so a lot of people had very kindly bought me presents but very heavy presents i see so i fell into the canal holding about six bottles oh mate and uh, uh you were about right? 10 books yeah no good uh, uh, my ribs are starting to repair now i can i can now breathe and sit up that's important <laughs> especially the breathing part yeah i'm a big fan of breathing <laughs> me too me too now speaking of breathing or not breathing as the case mm-hmm. may be can you tell us one or maybe two of the murder mystery stories that you have on your tour? That was a very tenuous link. Did you like, did you like that? <laughs> it was, it, I was wondering where that was going because like breathing, breathing exercise. Oh, murder walks. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, can link, I can link anything, Moz. Give me two subjects, I'll link them. Uh, it might take me half an hour, but I'll do it. NATO and baked beans. NATO and baked beans. Well, obviously NATO is a very important organisation. They do lots of uh, lots of lots of <laughs> different uh, international related issues. Um, uh, obviously, they're, they're famous for you know peacekeeping. Um, what many people don't realise though is that they also have to deal with a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of uh, sort of dealing with supplies, you know, when there's been a, an environmental disaster or maybe, you know, a, a wartime crisis and a lot of people are left without without food or drinking water. And what NATO, uh, what they do is they may provide some food and sustenance for, for people who need it. And uh, they may or may not uh, give people baked beans as a way of keeping them alive as part of their wow. duties. That was a whole minute. <laughs> <laughs> a whole minute of nonsense. <laughs> a tenuous link. <laughs> I've done that before. I've, I've done many similar uh, minutes on the podcast before, Moz. Um, Very good. Very so good. I'm sure my listeners are familiar with that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's get back to the murder mysteries. Tell us yeah. a story. Okie dokie. Well, there's actually one that I love telling. Um, and... I've invited people from the tour who actually live in Soho, which is the area where I do the walk. Mm. Um, and when I've told them this story, I keep saying story, but it's all true. Yeah. Uh, even they're shocked because they don't know about it. Now, most people know about Jack the Ripper. He's apparently the world's most famous serial killer who killed load of, loads of women in the 1880s. And we still don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another Ripper in 1942 in the centre of London, actually in Soho. Um, but much, much of his story has been suppressed by the press and the government at the time. Because of World War II, everyone's morale was very weakened. Uh, so even to this day, much of his story remains unsolved, untold. Yeah. Um, and he is known, you can, your, um, uh, your listeners can go onto my website, www.murdermiletours.com, yeah. or type in the blackout 
Ripper. Okay. And basically what he would do, uh, he was an RAF airman. He, he uh, over the space of just six days, he murdered four women, attempted to kill two others. And basically because of the blackout, um, during World War II, what they would do is insist that all the street lamps were off, all the house lights were out, you'd have your curtains closed and your door was shut. No light at all. No the- light at all. So he would use the darkness in order to, and his RAF uniform, which was very official, to uh, knock on ladies' doors and attack them in their own houses. Cool. I won't go into details about what he did because it was absolutely horrific. But he's, uh, he is more brutal than Jack the Ripper. He's real, he existed, but his story remains untold even today. Wow. I know. And the great thing on the walk is I have all of the pictures from all of the evidence and all of the pictures of all his victims, as, as pictures of his victims as they were. I, I don't show pictures of when they're, you know, when they've been mutilated. No, no. No, because it's a, I, I prefer to show them, you know, pay respect to them. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's a horrific story. Do we, do, I mean, you know, when you hear stories like that and, I mean, it's fascinating that this is like a little untold story because of the context in which it took place. You know, people didn't mm. want to share the stories of this murder at that time because, you know, people were trying to, you know, keep the, keep the morale up, as you said. And also there, were, there was plenty of other action going on in other areas. And so this kind of went unnoticed and un, unspoken about. Um, why do you think a man would do that? Why, why would he use that as an opportunity to go around and commit crimes like that? It's an odd one. That's... A- question that everyone asks on my walk because on all of the um all of the 18 murderers that we investigate on the walk Mm. i can give you very detailed reasons why they got involved so so for example um on my murder walk is that the britain's actually most notorious serial killer dennis nielsen who murdered 15 vulnerable young men and attempted to kill two others all in I think it was about four years he did it. Um, but his whole story, it, I won't go into the graphic details on, on, your, <laughs> on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, but what, his whole story is about the fact that he was abandoned uh, by his parents when he was very young. And when his grandfather died, uh, he felt that he'd been rejected right. that, by his grandfather dying. So his whole story is about trying to find someone who will love him but won't reject him. So uh, basically, he, what he would do, he would find, because uh, he was a, a, a homosexual gentleman, yeah. um, he would go in search of younger men who he would find attractive. Uh, he would strangle them. Yeah. Therefore, they wouldn't be mutilated. And he would uh, dress them and seat them in a chair next to him so he could talk and have conversations with them. Oh, my God. But and that way, he could, you know, he could go to bed with them. He could kiss with them. Oh, he could my- have a whole relationship with these dead men, but they would never reject him because they were dead. That's, a, that's incredible. Obviously, that's horrible, but mm. that's also fascinating in a way because it kind of makes you think, oh, so the guy, just he just needed a friend. But, yeah. that, but obviously, that's... Where do you stand on things like, I mean, personally, Mars, I mean, I don't know if you have the answers to questions like this, but where do you stand on things like punishments for this sort of thing? I mean, uh, you know, the, in, in that period, when, when was that again? When did that happen? Uh, Nielsen was uh, 78 to 83. So 78, 1978 to 1983. Mm. Uh, that, in that period, we didn't have the death penalty. 
I think in many countries where people are listening to this, if someone had done that and been caught, they would they would be sentenced to death as a punishment. We yeah. don't have the death penalty in the UK anymore. I, in, in Nielsen's case, he was he was originally because most of his victims they couldn't find because he actually dis, uh, he dismembered them, but he also burnt most of them on a very large bonfire. Oh my uh, God. So of. of I don't know why there's there's a lot more sicker things that he did that I will not go into on this podcast. But he 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 uh, built a large bonfire, put a rubber tire on the top, like yeah. a car tire. Yeah. Set fire to it so that disguised the smell of burning flesh. Yeah. Uh, which is why he only got charged with six counts of murder instead of fifteen because they can't find the rest of the bodies. I see. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, he only got he got charged with twenty five years in prison which is the British equivalent of a life sentence. Um, but th- that was later extended to a whole life sentence, which mm. means he'll never be released. Yeah, I see. Wow. Is he still in prison now? Yeah, he's 70. It was his birthday last November. Uh, I didn't send him a card. I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine but, if you'd sent him a card, what would you have written? Well, he- hello. What's his name? Dear, Dennis. Dear Dennis. <laughs> hello, Dennis, you bastard. <laughs> it's i i do you know what it's interesting it's it's his story is quite horrific all the details yeah but ironically on the walk it's the comedy moment really yeah yeah when when we i tell his story because it's kind of uh people actually really enjoy it they go oh good old dennis it's kind of it's quite amusing in a way they get to know him during the tour and it's it's kind of the irony of it it's like um I do a line in there, like I introduce it at the start because what I did was I discovered that he actually worked in a job center in Denmark Street. Mm-hmm. Actually, can, can I tell this tiny story? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so this is where the sto- this is where the story starts, and this this got me quite excited because what I like about the murder walk is not grisly details, but I like things that kind of draw you in, little details that just make you go, "Hmm, that's interesting." Mm. Um, and basically, the start of the walk is, I go, this is Denmark Street. There used to be a job centre here. Uh, this is where Dennis Nielsen worked for five years. Uh, during this time, he murdered 15 vulnerable young men. And I go through the history of all the men that he murdered. Yeah. Then I go, but of course, none of them were murdered here at Denmark Street. And everyone looks at me very strange, going, thinking, why have I included this in a murder walk? Right. And it's this detail that I love. I go, well, every Christmas, the job centre would host a Christmas party. Uh, With Dennis Nielsen as the boss of the job centre, he had to keep the costs down. Therefore, he'd ask each member of staff to bring with them something to help out, whether that was food or decorations or music. In Dennis Nielsen's case, he would always make the mulled wine. Now, in the story, I've already told the audience that um what dennis nilson used to do was chop up many of his victims but in order to get or in order so they couldn't be identified he would boil their heads <laughs> in a large metal pot so he could get rid of the the skin and the eyes and the brains um but of course he used the same pot to make uh, a very british christmas drink called mulled wine oh my god which so, he served to his staff. So the British food really is that bad? Oh, yeah. No, it all tastes horrible. It was <laughs> great, great over Christmas because um, the pub that we finish in, which is Dennis Nielsen's favourite pub, 
um, served mulled wine. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And so did, you drink, did you drink it? Oh, yeah, totally. But it, it, it's great. It's kind of a joke along the walk that everyone goes, you know, I go, um, I start the walk by going through that door in 1978, walked a pleasant, if slightly shy man. And everyone knows that's code for Dennis Nielsen. So every time I repeat it on the rest of the walk, yeah. everyone smiles because they know exactly what's going to happen. Right. So after you've got to know Dennis Nielsen from where he worked and where he served yeah. this mulled wine at Christmas parties, this mulled wine with his particular taste. Uh, oh, yes. It, it had been made in the same pot that he used for other things, let's say. I hope he washed it out. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, so after you told that story, you then visit the locations where these things happened, these murders mm. that he committed happened, and then you can say, and in this building, a, a, a pleasant yet shy young man yes. walked through the door. And everybody knows. Everyone, in, in fact, I even turn to the audience and, and go, uh, whose name was? And they all go, Dennis Nielsen. <laughs> right, right, I see. But it's funny, it's funny how something so horrific can be the high point, the joke. It's, right. like, it's like I use it as some of the murders are very, very downbeat. Mm. Like it's hard to recover from it. Um, there's, there's one that I investigated, which no one talks about. Uh, even locals have chosen to forget about it. It's the Denmark Street Fire. Okay. Uh, and uh, basically uh, Denmark Street is a very popular part of Soho. It's where bands such as the Rolling Stones, the Sex Pistols, um, they either recorded or, or some of their famous tracks or lived there. I, I know Denmark Street very well because that's where I used to go to buy all my musical equipment. Oh, okay. They have all the guitar shops, the drum shops there on Denmark Street. It's, a, it's yeah. like one of my favourite streets in London. Um, and I, I've, I bought guitars, drums and other stuff in Denmark Street. And those guitar shops have been there for, for years. Love Denmark Street. ages, yes. Well, uh, up the road, you've probably noticed a bar called, I think it's called, it used to be called Bar 51. Uh, is that the uh, 12 Bar Club? 12 Bar, yes. Yeah. It got changed to 12 Bar. That is 23 Denmark Street, which is the fire of the Denmark, uh, the scene of the Denmark Street fire. Really? Uh, and 16th of August, 1980. Uh, both clubs were quite popular with uh, immigrants from Spain and South America. It was kind of their place to congregate and, and meet like-minded people, but obviously quite a few were illegally into the country. Um, both clubs, there were two clubs on each floor. There was Rodos on the first floor and uh, El Huerco. Uh, which I'm reliably informed translates as the whole, but obviously some of your listeners, listeners can uh, help me out with that. Uh-huh. Um, they were deemed illegal by the authorities, so the, the council shut them down. But so on the 16th of August, they decided to host a farewell party. Uh, 150 people packed into just two floors. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it was an amazing party. It was, the music was pumping. Everyone was having a great time, uh, except one man. He was slightly unhappy. This is not my pattern. This is not how I tell no, the story. No, no, I'm just kind of, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was slightly unhappy. Yeah. Uh, he was slightly overcharged for a drink, he felt. Yeah. Uh, so he was booted out of the club. Right. And then about 20 minutes later, he blocked the only entrance or exit to both clubs, knelt down with a box of matches, and poured through the letterbox <sighs> a gallon of petrol. Oh, my God. The fi- I've, I've got the fire brigade 
uh, instant reports. In fact, I read them to the audience, so it, it's facts. I, I don't gloss it, it's facts. And it's the bit, whole build... I was going to say, it's a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? Like, if you're in a party and everyone else is having a good time and, and someone refuses to buy you, to serve you a drink, you don't then burn the place down, right? What you can do is maybe go home, have a cup of tea and complain. Watch like, oh, bloody, bloody party, or stupid people. Write a letter. <laughs> uh, yeah, write a letter. Go home, yeah. leave an angry... Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, write an angry letter, complain about it on Facebook. Don't burn the building down, okay, maybe everyone? Put some expletives in it. <laughs> yeah, swear, swear as much as you like. Yeah. Just don't, don't burn any buildings down as a general uh, rule. It's horrific. I mean, uh, in, one, in that building, 38 people died. Uh, they're uncertain of the 150 who were in the building how many were injured right. because being illegal many of them walked away uh, but uh, yeah. the, fire w- the fire was so intense and so fast that many of those who died died still sitting in the seats that they were in Wow! Uh, quite a few were slumped at the bar uh, the fire investigator said that they still had drinks in their hands Wow! that's how fast it was so the fire just went vroom, woof straight through the building yeah, totally. No one could get out. People were throwing themselves from the second and third floors, still their clothes on fire, throwing themselves into the street, they're smashing their bones. Wow. It's oh a horrific and very little has been told about this story. I didn't realise that that had happened at that location. I've been to that spot loads of times. I've played yeah. I've played gigs in that spot. You know God. music gigs in that place. I never realised. I knew it had like a sort of grungy atmosphere. And that's where they played, like, you know, rock and roll music and stuff. But, God, I didn't know that that had happened. Neither did I. I've lived in London for 20 years. Um, And I was, it was only when I was digging. I was not physically digging. I was trying to find murders in Soho. um, And I read on a forum somewhere, someone said, wasn't there a nightclub that caught fire on Poland Street? And me being me, I I made a note um, and then carried on. And then I thought, let's just dig further. And then I found out it was Denmark Street. I found out where it was. I found the pictures. I found the list of the dead, which is yet to be released. But it, on my walk, I, I, as a kind of memorial, I do a list of the dead so you can see who did die. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, very little has been written about this murder. In, and, in fact, it's the most deadly, it's the deadliest blaze since the Blitz, so since World War II. Wow. And yet there's never been a memorial to any of them who have died. Okay. And I, I, I on, on this, at this point in, in your tour, is this when you have a cup of tea? I suppose that cup of tea is very welcome, <laughs> isn't it? No, this is, it, it, it's, that's, uh, so I do Dennis Nielsen first and the mulled wine. Yeah. Because, because that's on Denmark Street as well. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Um, that's directly opposite Bar 12. And then I do the Denmark Street fire, um, which is a massive downer. It's a, I mean, it's a yeah. huge downer. Everyone's really depressed, especially the fact that um, uh, the guy who committed the fire, I, I end it by saying, um, the, uh, what was his name? I can't remember. Uh, the guy who committed the fire, he died in 2008 alone in prison after a very long battle with cancer. Uh, right, so there's some justice and in the world. There's justice, but everyone is really depressed. And, but then I pick them up and I tell them a story. And it's the story of the second tour I ever did, yeah. which was only two ladies. And they were very nice and very chatty, very nice ladies, very bubbly. And, oh, 
small group, but we were having a wonderful time. Yeah. And as we stood in front of the den- the scene of the Denmark Street Fire, I was doing the story about Dennis Nielsen, which is directly opposite. Yeah. Um, one of the ladies looked. Uh, she went very pale, hmm. and she went very quiet. And I said, "Are you okay?" And she said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just tell the story." So I told the Dennis Nielsen story, but all the time, standing in front of the scene of the Denmark Street Fire, which she didn't know, she kept looking behind herself. Yeah. And she looked really freaked out. So when we moved across the street and I said, the, the next location you were actually standing in front of, she nudged her friend and said, I told you so. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, as we were standing in front of that building, it felt as if someone hot was touching me, someone with very hot hands. And I said, that's uncanny because I'm now about to tell you about the Denmark Street fire. Wow. I know. Oh, that's so creepy. It was even more creepy later on because um, I thought, okay, let's test these so-called psychics because I don't believe in it. Yeah. Um, and I took her to a location in the center of Soho, which is a nice residential building and a nice kind of uh, piazza square, you know, cobbled streets. And mm. uh, yeah, very, very grand, very, very beautiful. Um, and as she got there, she looked like she was about to be sick. Mm. And I said, are you okay? And she went, is this a plague pit? As in uh, the, the big pits where they used to dump all the plague victims during the uh, 17th century. And I right. went, yeah, actually it was. And, she knew it. And what? And she, she, uh, she, could she, it. she was right. She was, she was absolutely right. It's, uh, <sighs> Soho has three massive plague pits. One of them is so big uh, how can I describe it? It's, it covers a huge area, so it's probably the size of maybe three football fields. Really? Yeah, that's it, that's, massive. That goes from Carnaby Street down Poland Street, and it's but the the area is beautiful, but you wouldn't know that. Now, of course, I mean, back in the 17th century, it was a place where they, yeah, they, they had to dispose of the the bodies of people who died from the plague, which mm-hmm. which which tore all the way through Europe. You know, God, horrible. Bit, but but now nowadays it's a bustling place with shops and cafes and restaurants yeah. and beautiful looking people walking around. <laughs> no one knows. No one realizes. No, no. there's still bodies underneath the floors, uh, underneath the buildings, because there were literally thousands of bodies, and uh, because there were so many, they had to pack them underground in basically what they refer to as lasagna so you'd have oh, a layer of bodies then a layer of quicklime to dissolve the bodies then another layer of bodies and it would build in kind of 20 foot deep layers goodness me and this woman sensed it when she arrived there she was like was this a plague pit and you you yeah. surprised you know you were surprised and you said yes wow that's amazing so she could sense it but i, I wonder yeah that's amazing that is very mm. interesting it creeped me out because i i don't believe in psychics no neither do i uh, i've talked about this subject on the podcast before i know i've got several listeners uh who do believe in it it's interesting conversation i'm open-minded enough to well my position is i'm skeptical about you know psychics and things like that and i i you know I, i'm not going to accept or just blind let's say blindly accept without enough yeah. evidence that that sort of thing happens so i'm not saying it doesn't it's not possible to detect things that happened in the past 
well, but well, I'm, I just think there may be a rational explanation for it rather than jumping to the conclusion that we have magical powers, you know? I, I always say to people, because I, I don't believe in it, but I only don't believe in it because I've not experienced it. But mm. I always say that it's interesting how every culture, even before the, you know, the last two or three hundred years where we learnt to kind of migrate, uh, every single culture has ghosts as part of their culture. Yeah. And yet never once did we ever come together and go, hey, we should all talk about ghosts. That's very true. So there, there has to be something. Also, it's good. It's good for my tour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it? Which does I have to say, Moz, you convinced me. It sounds like a brilliant tour, and uh, I'm gonna, you know, gonna speak to the wife. And uh, next time we're in town, cool. Uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to go on one of the tours. Is it when? When is it? Every day or every uh, weekend? No, at the moment I do two every Sunday. But as because we're we're not quite in uh, season at the moment. But very soon I'll be doing. Uh, two Sundays, two on Saturdays, probably some weekday ones as well. Okay, so and people can check it out at murdermiletours.com. Oh, yes, and, the, and there's lots of, uh, there's a nice big wall on there, so basically lots of pictures, and you can click on the different pictures and read about all the different, different grisly murders, including Dennis Nielsen and his pot of mulled wine. <laughs> okay, and... Uh... I mean, I call you Moz, but your full name's Michael J. Buchanan Dunn. Uh, Am I, uh, shall I say that? Abraham Levi Goldstein III. <laughs> That's your official... That's offici- a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> okay. Is your name uh, like on your website? I mean, is it, do you, you publish your name? Uh, I don't think I do. I mean, uh, it's, uh, probably, it's probably somewhere, though. Would you like me to include your name there? Do you want me to keep that bit in? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah? No, okay. I don't mind that. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think I've got my name is actually on different websites where I because each week I have to try and sell it to different people. So I have to kind of. Um, so if you type in Murder Mile, there'll be you'll see loads of different things like Murder Mile Valentine's Day special. Right. So my name's on there. That's my way of kind of advertising it to different people. Yeah. Mother's Day special. I'm, I'm just doing the Murder Mile. What's it called? The Murder Mile pub crawl. Okay. So you get to go on a murder walk and a pub crawl. Brilliant. What a great idea. Two birds with one stone. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just wondering if, if any of my listeners you know, are up for it, if they're going to be in London and they fancy a different kind of, of tour. Yes. Uh, and they do go to murdermiletours.com and, and they sign up with something and, and they meet you, then they can say, hello, Moz. Or they, uh, Moz, I suppose. They can say, yeah. hello, hello, Moz. I listen to you on Luke's English Podcast. Oh, yes, that would be amazing. It would be amazing to meet some of your listeners. And actually, I will take pictures of myself with them so we can post it on, uh, on your website. Yeah, definitely. That would um, be wonderful. I-, I just wanted to ask my listeners at this point, hello, listeners, are you okay? Is everyone all right? You're not feeling, yes. you're not feeling, feeling too freaked out? <laughs> yes, we're fine, Luke. <laughs> so, so the Liz, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. It, was a bit, it got a little bit uh, creepy there, but we're all okay. Oh, it can get worse. I'm sure it does. <laughs> come, come on the walk, and you will be. Sometimes I, I have to turn to some of the guests and go, "Are you okay?" <laughs> some people look quite like they're going to be sick, but I think that's half the thrill: is that people like pushing themselves. They like the, the feeling of fear. There's nothing worse than looking at a building and someone going, "Oh!" Uh, in the 17th century, a poker game happened here, and someone got stabbed. 
that's boring. Yeah. Whereas if you tell a story and one of the stories with the Blackout Ripper, I deliberately, I start the story very early and I explain about one of the victims, about how she was an actress. She came all the way from uh, uh, Yorkshire. Um, she made her way to London in the hope of working on the West End stage. But obviously, World War Two happened. She couldn't get any work, so she had to become a prostitute. She kind of felt forced. Mm. But it was the only way that she felt that she could make money. And that ultimately was what killed her. Right. And the rest is, is detailed in the, in, in the full tour, I suppose. Mm. But, but it's great because it kind of it draws you into their lives and it makes you feel, it makes you feel quite sorry for them. Yeah. Which I think you, you need an emotional response. Yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds gripping, and, and even though it is a bit disgusting, it's definitely not boring, which is like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's nothing, for me, there's nothing worse than boring. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the worst word in the world. You know, if, if, uh, if, if one of my students ever tells me that one of my classes is boring, it breaks my heart. You've got no idea. Like, the word boring is just a horrible word to hear. Yes, uh, and you certainly can't use that word to describe uh, these tours. They sound brilliant. I, I, I think having spent years uh, putting on shows at the Edinburgh Finch Festival uh, has helped me a lot. Yeah, actually, actually, this is all about what I did was I sat down and wrote the speech verbatim, and I, I've memorised two hours verbatim. So literally, every single word is the same. I have to repeat it because it's. It's it's all about storytelling. It's all about character. I perform all of it. Yeah. So um, actually, performing live for years has taught me a lot about audiences. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw you do stand-up comedy, Moz, in two thousand and nine. Oh dear, <laughs> that fateful uh, performance that you did as Moz. The oh, am I, am I going to tell the story? Yeah, actually, okay, people, gonna, let, people can go onto YouTube and check it out. They can, can't they? So, uh, <laughs> Moz and I, you know, listeners, you might know that we did comedy together, you know, back in the day. And uh, uh, first ever show that we did, we were on stage, you know, like we did, we we're on the same show. Um, and Moz was the first act. And I think the guy who organized the, the show, the, the, the fantastic Logan Murray, who we've all learned so much from. Uh, Logan put you on first because he thought you were going to do this light-hearted uh, performance about uh, a, a popular drink, and that you're going to do you know do this funny performance about a drink, and it was all going to be very light-hearted about uh, like uh, the, the orange juice. Bongo ju- Explorer. Yeah, like a tropical juice. You were going to make fun of this juice, and uh, so Logan was. I'll put Moz on first. It's a safe bet, but unbeknownst to him, you didn't tell Logan. You changed your act, and you mm. on the night you did the the cannibal routine, Moz the cannibal. And listeners, uh, you know, I had friends there and stuff all waiting for me to come on, and the everyone's nervous because all their friends were going to be performing comedy for the first time. And uh, you came up on stage, and listeners, Moz was dressed in an old suit, and he covered himself in blood. There was blood. <laughs> There was like fake blood dripping down his face. And he then did this macabre performance um, as Moz the Cannibal, telling the stories of his sad life and the weird things that he'd been doing. And so that, that, everyone was a bit shocked, you know? They were, they were a bit shocked by that. They were like, bloody hell, what was that? That was a bit strong. You know, it kind of took people by surprise. It was certainly kind of shocking beginning to the evening. Um, that was a bit shocking, but it seems that 
over the years you've you've done other comedy shows we've talked about it on this podcast before you've been to edinburgh so yeah. you've done the performances on stage and things and now it seems that it's kind of come together in in the form of this tour which is uh, which is really good so it involves so many different things like research and mm. and performance brilliant it's it's interesting i would never have considered myself a tour guide in my life but uh i was trying to find something that encapsulates or, or fulfills everything that i love which is as you say performance writing research meeting people history and i i've always wanted to do this when i was about five years old i came up with the idea for murder mile really? uh, yeah but thought but thought it would never happen uh and then when i got made redundant which was beautiful time uh got paid lots of money to not work anymore uh and decided to set up murder mile great and uh, I, I have to say, it's the best job ever. Well, I'm very happy for you. It sounds sounds like lots of fun. And I work uh, one day a week. One day a week. Oh, great! <laughs> and the rest of the time, you get to enjoy your, yeah. your time on the boat. Oh, yes. In the sunshine, sticking yep. a dongle out of the window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> How is it there now? What's going on? Is the is the sun still shining there in in East London? It's beautiful, actually. I was I was actually sitting on the roof before we started doing this, reading a book, having an apple, a cup of tea, mm. uh, feeding. We've got loads of ducks here, so ducks, Canadian geese, and coots. Yeah, coots are beautiful, little kind of smaller than ducks, but with a very kind of white mask over the top of their heads. These birds that live on the water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like a really nice existence. Mm. Uh, uh, Mars, it's been really cool to have you on the podcast again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for telling the stories, and you know, good luck with the tours. Uh, I hope that uh, I hope you get some of my listeners on there. Yes, that would be lovely. They are all welcome. Okay, fantastic. I promise not to kill them. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Or or, or feed them any mulled wine that oh, uh, yes. has been prepared in dodgy circumstances. <laughs> all right. Well, um, nice one, Moz. Take care. Um, I suppose you can now go back on the roof of the boat and enjoy the sunshine. I think I might do. Okay. I was re- I was reading a book about death actually, <laughs> <laughs> and there we were thinking it was like a such a nice innocent scene with you enjoying a simple <laughs> cup of tea and an apple, feeding the ducks on the oh, roof okay. in the sunshine, reading a book about death. It, it's a book on the history of London's graveyards. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like nice cheerful stuff. Yeah. Well. That's cool. All right. Okay, Mars, nice one. Um, so that's uh, that's it. Murdermartours.com, ladies and gents. Have a look. Thanks, Moz. Uh, no worries. All right. Have a nice... Uh, enjoy the book about death and ducks. I will do. Okay. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye. So there you go. That was the chat with Moz. How do you feel? You feel all right? Yeah. Now, personally, I I don't feel too upset or disturbed by those stories. I just find them intriguing. I think it's amazing what has happened in the past and what people do and their motivations, you know? I think that people are fascinating and mysterious creatures, aren't they? And it's weird that... uh, Isn't it weird that that woman sensed the sight of that plague pit? That's all a bit weird and very interesting indeed, and I can't wait to go on one of those walks on a Sunday next time I'm in London. Um, So you can check out Murder Mile Tours by visiting murdermiletours.com, 
And if you're going to be in London at some point, then I think this could be a really cool tour for you to join. Because you'll get to see some really cool spots in Soho, like Denmark Street with its guitar shops. And you can hang out and have a cup of tea and a chat with Moz. And maybe, you know, hang out for a bit longer and go to a pub or something and drink beer. You know, if he's got the time. And you could maybe talk nonsense with him for a little while. Uh, Buy him a pint. He might like that. Um, So... Okay, so that's pretty much it from this episode. Thank you again for listening. I look forward to reading your comments on the page for this episode, and I invite you to just let let us all know, you know, how it was for you. Um, so we're almost done, but you know what? You know what, ladies and gents? Um, that's, in fact, not the end of the episode. I know it's already long, but it's going to get longer because I'm now going to play you an outtake um, so let me explain. Earlier in the episode, uh, you heard us talking about swearing, and I bleeped out pretty much all of the swear words that that was in that part of the conversation, mainly for comedy purposes. But I thought it was just sort of I don't know. Somehow I thought it was appropriate to bleep them out, considering we were talking about bleeping them out. But after we finished our conversation, um, Moz and I continued talking. And we came back to the subject of swear words and we decided to just let rip a little bit. Okay, so it's to let rip. Do you know what that means? Um, well, that means just to express your emotions or thoughts without holding yourself back. Okay, so it's just like just let rip. Um, and so in this case, we decided to let rip with some swearing. So we'd, we'd been a bit careful earlier in the conversation. Now, at the end, we were like, oh, come on. Let's let's start recording again. Let's have a swearathon. Okay, so we let rip with a swearathon. So here it is, a mini outtake, sort of like a sequel to the swearing podcast I did a couple of years ago with my brother. Um, and here it is, a super super duper X-rated outtake uh, with Moz uh, just after we finished the interview. And here is another warning. Yes, that's right. I'm going to sort of patronise you again with another warning. Uh, you're about to hear loads of swearing now. If you're offended by the rudest words in the language, please stop listening now. Okay, you got it? If you're not offended by swearing, then wonderful. Keep listening. It's pretty simple, isn't it, really? Do you take the blue pill or do you take the red pill? It's your choice. Listen, not listen. Hear the swear words. <laughs> okay, that's enough explaining and justifying. Let the swearing commence. I've got, I've got an idea, Boz. I've just hit record again. Let's do an outtake. Let's do a bonus post jingle bonus where we, we do loads <laughs> of swearing. But what are we going to do? Are we going to? Are we going to? Uh, let's I do. Could, a, we, we, I, I could tell you more about uh, Mrs. Brown's boys. I think we should just. Uh, or, are we just going to say loads of f- swear words now? Yeah. Without bleep, without bleeping out. them out. Yeah. Okay. Well, it What's was your really, favourite swear word. Uh, I think it's. <laughs> oh, that's a really difficult one to say. I quite like bollocks. <laughs> bollocks. Oh, that's a load of bollocks. Uh, what, but, what, what about flange? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's technically a swear word. I think I think I think that's just an innuendo. Do you have to explain that to your listeners? Uh, no, I want you to explain that to my listeners. Flange, oh, go, well, uh, oh god, go on then. Go on then. A flange is well, actually, it's it's a. It is a device for kind of cleaning a sink out. It's kind of more like a flannel. Uh, it's actually no, it's a part of a sink, isn't it? But flange is also used for a lady's. <laughs> it's a lady's. <laughs> That's a, I can hear a helicopter in the background, Moz. Yeah, there's a uh, Chinook going over. They're coming to get you. 
<laughs> They've been like, ah, we've heard reports of swearing on a podcast. Uh, send in special branch. <laughs> the, uh, the the suspect is on a long boat, on a narrow boat. He's got his and- dongles hanging out the window. <laughs> And he's only wearing pants, as always. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's do a little swear of that. So, it was fucking brilliant to have you on the fucking podcast. It's fucking great. I fucking loved it. You fucking you know what? bastard. Uh, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what? Fuck you and fuck your listeners. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I, did, I didn't fucking mean that, listeners. I, I absolutely you. fucking love all of you. That was a lot of F-bombs. But that was a fuckload of F-bombs. One, th- one thing that is interesting about the word fuck is that it's so versatile, it can be placed in any position in a sentence, you know? You can put it at the... You can put it almost anywhere. I think it may be the most versatile word in the English language. You know, you've got, like... Uh, pick a, pick a, a sentence, like, what are you doing in my bed? This is the classic example. What are you doing in my bed? You could say, fucking, what are you doing in my bed? Right? You could say, what the fuck are you doing in my bed? You could say, what are you fucking doing in my bed? You could say, what are you doing fucking in my bed? You could say, Never. what are you doing in my bed, you fuck? My, my friend Sarah starts every sentence uh, with the word fucking. Really? It's, it's kind of her way of... Do you know some people put in ums and ahs in order yeah. to kind of think their way around a sentence? She goes... Fucking, do you know what? Like that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Just many of your listeners, that's acceptable to do in the English language. Is to start a sentence with the word "fucking" but elongate it. That's Go, right. Fucking. <laughs> I want to see how you bleep that, Luke. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> oh no, I'm going to have to bleep these, aren't I? This is going to this is going to take about three hours out of my day. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is going to take absolutely fucking ages. All right, okay. All right, you. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> is that enough fuck? You. Lots of fucks. I'm you. fucking across all of this fucking podcast. Fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> With added fuck. And here's an extra fuck for all your listeners. Fuck. <laughs> Fuckity fuck, fuck. Oh, you're gonna, you've just given me loads of work, you fucking funk. You fucking <laughs> cunt. Fuck yeah. Okay. I hope your listeners fucking enjoyed that. I fucking did. I fucking did too, Moz. I think it's time for you to get arrested by... I think you should uh, put your hands up and surrender to, to the, the fucking SAS or whatever it is that's come Fuck to yeah. arrest your ass. <laughs> They're going to arrest my ass? Yeah. G- good luck to them. <laughs> like, just take the ass. We don't need the rest of, the, the rest of his body. The rest of it smells. <laughs> that's right. Get, get a crack squad. Get a SWAT team down there and arrest this guy's ass. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies and gents, uh, that's it for this uh, fucking bullshit outtake uh, from Luke's English podcast, which I don't even know if I'm going to publish or not. I'll probably lie. I'll lie awake at night worrying about whether this should be published or not now. Yeah, oh, let's do it. It, yeah. it. it was funny. To to bleep or not to bleep, that is the question. Yeah. Well, in that case, can we have a sweary at the end unbleeped like this one? Yeah, okay. This is okay, I'll do a little caveat and I'll add a little uh, a big uh, a big load of fucks at the end. I'll say there's going um I've run out of steam. That helicopter's looking for you, Moz. <laughs> it's really noisy today. Yeah, well, well, that's London, I suppose. It's always a police helicopter. Ah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Don't fucking matter, you know what I mean? Man for it, man for it. <laughs> All right, then. Take care. Enjoy the boat. Enjoy. Don't fall in the water again, you, you yeah, twat. Yeah, n- 
no more. <laughs> was that a twat you threw in it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think for listeners, we need to explain that twat is uh, a swear word used between men, but it's actually a, a reference to a lady's. Another lady's there on the on the. Or it could be the same ladies. Just one. Or it could be two. <laughs> you mean? Although that that would be twats, then, wouldn't it? Twats. Yeah. Okay, so we've had flange, <laughs> we've had twats, yeah. uh, we've had fuck and fucking, we've yeah. had fucking loads of words. I've had, I, I threw in a cunt in there. <laughs> <laughs> you threw a cunt in there as well. Did you throw a dick in there? No, but we haven't had a motherfucker either. We haven't, no. No, that's, that's, the, that's the big three. What, fuck, cunt and motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, so the, the yeah. great combination is you motherfucking cunt. Oh, no, it's this, what a, what a fuck beauty. it. Fucking your motherfucking cunt. <laughs> Fuck flaps. Yay. <laughs> okay, that's the end. Stop. That's enough swearing. Moz, there we go. Uh, say goodbye to my listeners. Uh, God bless you, listeners. It's been a pleasure as always, you cunts. <laughs> <laughs> And on that bombshell, that's the end of this episode. Thanks again for listening. It's been a long one. There'll be more podcasts coming up in the future. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.